Let me pray for us and let's dive into the teaching of the Word. Father, we thank you that we are not left to our own devices to figure out what is truth, what I think versus what someone else thinks, but that your Word is truth. So as we look at your Word this morning, I pray you'd speak into our souls, into our lives in a very real and powerful way. I pray this in Jesus' name. Precious name, amen. So have you ever had one of those nights where sleep seems impossible and uh, you finally maybe find yourself getting out of bed and in my case, to not awake my wife, going into another room But not just to turn on the television and do something to kill time because I can't sleep, but something's on my heart and it's it's a burden. And uh, I find myself in the next few moments on my knees at the couch and it's two or three in the morning and I'm talking to the Lord actually out loud. I I wouldn't do that with y'all around, but I'll do that when it's just me and him. And I'm asking him for something And it's usually something really, really deep in my soul. And there does seem sometimes to get some relief and I'm able to go back and lay down and go to sleep. But you know, what we pray about usually matters really deeply to us. You may have a a loved one who's sick. And you quietly go before the Lord on their behalf, perhaps with a heavy heart and even tears in your eyes. You may pray for that deep desire that has gone unfulfilled for months, maybe even, maybe even years, to come to pass. But perhaps nothing seems to change. For me, one of them was the salvation of my father. For 22 years, I prayed and I prayed, and then I found myself in an ER with him breathing, gasping for breath, knowing that he was about to die. Again, I found myself beside his bed on my knees, praying, God, do something in his heart. He told me he was an atheist. Maybe you've experienced something like that. You may pray that God would just quiet your soul. You feel anxious or restless about financial matters or about work. We often find a quiet place and we lift our prayers to heaven in faith that the Father will hear and be pleased to grant our request. You see, what we pray about most often matters deeply to us. However, We shouldn't assume that Jesus' prayers were something that were said privately. Interestingly enough, in Jewish tradition, those prayers were said aloud, making it available for those disciples and those close to Jesus to actually hear what he prayed and to be able to record it. And that is what we have in our text today, the actual recorded prayer of Jesus himself. The eternal saving purposes of God had always been Jesus' primary concern during his time on earth. 
Because this was how he was to glorify the Father. He came to reveal the supreme value of God himself by opening the eyes of the spiritually blind. Now, as the cross draws near, you know in the story, it's only hours before he is to go to the cross. The Lord articulates those purposes in this magnificent prayer to his Father. He voices them audibly so that his disciples can hear it. The Lord knew that what had been planned in eternity past, his coming to earth for the salvation of people, for his creation, would be fulfilled in the next few hours. He also knew that his disciples would abandon him at this critical time, that their faith would be shaken. So he prayed for them. And he spends much of this prayer praying for them. In fact, of the 26 verses that Charlotte just read in John 17, which was the entire chapter, 14 of those verses center on prayers for the disciples, for those that were his immediate followers. And then there's an additional seven verses that are praying for those that would believe in him through them. So even there at the very end, Jesus is praying and he's praying for his followers. We're going to look at the three prayer requests of Jesus for a greater insight into the heart of God. And, and I want you to know also, there are going to be some things in these prayer requests that are hard to digest. One, hard to understand, but two, hard to get our head around. So let's start. The three main topics of Jesus' prayer, here they are. He prayed for himself in John 17, 1 through 8. He prayed for himself. The second thing is Jesus prayed for his disciples in 17, 9 through 19. <clears throat> and then Jesus prays for all believers of all time in John 17, 20 through 26. Let's take the first one. He prays for himself. Look with me in your Bibles, if you would, at John 17, 1 through 8. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may, be, the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all you have given him. And this is eternal life. So what is eternal life? This is it. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, he says, glorify me. That's a prayer request. Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Interesting, isn't it? So what does Jesus pray for himself? He prays, glorify the Son with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus prayed, glorify the Son with the same glory that we had before the world existed. You see, there was a shared glory among the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. I appreciated the fact that we were quoting uh, some of that even earlier today. 
So how did Jesus, and this is the question for you to think about, how did Jesus lose that shared glory? Why did he have to pray that the Father would reinstate that glory? He lost it because he took on flesh. He descended from heaven and he took on flesh to walk among us to be our redemption. So Jesus existed with the Father from all eternity with the Holy Spirit. What does the request to glorify the Son mean? So Jesus says, glorify the Son. It means bring me back to your presence with the glory that we had before the world existed. Bring me back to that place. It's interesting, isn't it? Clearly, Jesus is saying he was God, which is the question for mankind. The real question in religion is who was Jesus Christ? Jesus is saying in our text right here, I was with you for eternity before the world existed. Reinstate that glory. Now, Philippians 2, 3 through 11. Sorry, Jessica. <laughs> Philippians 2, 3 through 11 helps us understand this. And so if you would, hold your finger in John 17 and look over there at Philippians 2, 3 through 11. <clears throat> and what this is going to do is help us see where Jesus left his glory and why he left his glory. So if you're looking at Philippians 2, 3 through 11, here's how it reads. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Boy, how much better would the world be if we all just did that? Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, so Jesus is in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus lets go of his glory, the glory that is to be in heaven with the Father, and he descends to be with us. Jesus yields, he surrenders his glory so that we might have salvation. He humbles himself. He gives up his preferences. He gives up maybe the way that he wanted to do it. And this is where I think an application for us as a church comes. At First Press, I mean at First Baptist Church Chattahoochee, if we are going to live in this life-giving 
needs meeting, Holy Spirit, life-changing place. We need this kind of humility towards the Lord and towards one another. How often are we surrendering our own interest for the interest of others? In a church where there is diversity, and, and I pray, and I pray you pray, that we would be a diverse church, that we would reflect the community that we live in, that there would be all races, all ages, all of it. And if that is to be true, if that is to be true, Philippians 2 must be true about us. We must put others' interests before our own, surrendering our wants and our desires. We're in a great place if we find ourselves saying, and I know that some of us, both young and old, feel this way, we're the ones that have to give the most. You know, that's the place of Christ. To be able to give the most is a place of honor. It's a place that eventually will be exalted. And so if you find yourself feeling that, give thanks. You're in a great place. You're in a great place. So the next question, how did Christ glorify the, the Father on earth? By fulfilling the work to give eternal life to all the Father had given him. By fulfilling the work to give eternal life to all the Father had given him. It took a great sacrifice. Now, there was three, there was three prayers. The second one is this. Jesus prays for his disciples in John 17, 9 through 19. What does Jesus pray for his disciples? Let's look at this. I'm going to summarize it and then I'm going to show it to you, okay? The things that he prays first are oneness, and we're going to talk about what is oneness. The second thing he prays is perseverance. The third thing he prays is joy. And the fourth thing he prays is holiness. Look with me at John 17, 11. Look what Jesus says in John 17, 11. He says, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. And then he says, Holy Father, here's the prayer request. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Keep them in your name that they may be one, even as we are one. So that is a prayer, you could say, for unity, oneness. And I think unity and oneness, even in our own families, we all know how fractured and broken, even in our own families, things can be. But then to come together as a church community and for everybody to truly get along and be in unity and oneness, <laughs> That's a supernatural thing. So Jesus is praying for something very supernatural to happen here. John 13, 35, don't turn there. But it says, Jesus said this, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. Honestly, the mark of most churches and one of the greatest reasons people don't go to church I think, is because they see hypocrisy. They don't see love. 
They don't see unity. They don't see community. They see people backbiting and talking about other people. And it's like my father would say, why would I go to church with those hypocrites? And quite frankly, he had a point. So Jesus is saying they'll know them by their love one for another. If this community right here, this community, our church, was one of the most deeply loving and caring groups of people in this area, what do you think would happen? People want to be a part of that. I want to, I want to know and be known at the deepest level and love and be loved at the deepest level. Who doesn't want that? Jesus knew that. So he praised this for the disciples. He praised that this would be true. The second thing he prayed for them was perseverance. Look at John 17, 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. So he's saying, I kept them connected to us. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost. But then he clarifies, because we know Judas betrayed him, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So he's saying, when I leave and go to the Father, there's going to be problems. Father, I'm praying for their perseverance, that they'll make it to the finish line. The world and its enemies will try and end them. So give them peace. Give them hope. Give them joy. Give them faith. They'll need this. The world will try to steal it. So he prays for their perseverance. Thirdly, for the disciples, Jesus prayed for their joy. In John 17, 13, it says, but now I'm coming to you. So Jesus is going to the Father. He's about to be crucified and resurrected and ascend. And these things I speak in the world that they may, what? Have my joy fulfilled in them that they may have my joy fulfilled in them this is not a joy that the world can give this is his joy this joy honestly I don't know that we even just get a, a, a thimbleful of it in this life but it's full and it's rich and it's deep and it's unwavering and it's full of peace and goodness and beauty. Jesus is praying, let them, let them have my joy. Let them have my joy. I struggle personally with anxiety. I wished and I pray, God, let me have your joy. Let me have your peace. Let it rest on me. Let me live there. Who doesn't want that? So Jesus is praying for their joy. And then finally, Jesus, in the fourth thing that he prays for them in John 17, 17, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You know what sanctify means? Make them holy. Make them righteous. Make them walk in truth and not in sin. In 1 Peter 1, 16, it says, be holy why? Because I am holy. God wants his people to reflect his character. 
God does not conform to a standard. He is the standard. He hates sin as a mother hates the disease that takes the life of her child. God hates sin like a mother would hate the disease that took the life of her child. That's the way God feels about sin. You know, when our children were small, my son, who is our oldest, now he's 24, we lived down in Statesboro, Georgia, and I would go out with the lawnmower to cut our grass, and we had a rather large yard down there because land's cheap. There's nothing in Statesboro but gnats. And I would go out there and cut the grass, and lo and behold, you know, we had bought my son a little toy lawnmower. You've seen this before. And I would look over there and strip for strip, line for line, my little boy, he's cutting with daddy. And when I would stop and have to do something, he'd stop. He'd bend down and look at his lawnmower, you know. And as a parent, you just think, does it get any cuter than that? You see, God wants his children to imitate him. And he knows that if we imitate him, it will be great for us, especially in this area of holiness. And so Jesus prays that they would have holiness. So think about this. Jesus prays for oneness. He prays for perseverance. He prays for joy. He prays for holiness. If I'm honest, when I think about my prayers, And when I think about the prayers of the people that I pray with, often those aren't the topics. The topics are more, if I'm I'm really honest, about comfort, about success, about approval, about health. What I'm saying to us as a family, a church, is our prayers need to be more in line with the prayers of our Lord. And if we don't understand those, like, I don't even get why he prayed those four things. That probably is saying something about us that we can't seem to comprehend why those would be the prayers. Probably says something about us. The other thing I just want to mention is that Jesus prayed in these 26 verses way more for other people Then he prayed for himself. Honestly, there was one prayer request for himself, and it was really that he would glorify the Father. The rest of the prayers were for the disciples and for those that would come to faith in him. I I think that most of us go to the Lord in prayer mostly about ourselves. And that's not very biblical. But it says something about our hearts. Now, There's a challenging text here that I want to look at for just a moment. We won't stay here forever, but I want you to at least see it. And and I think that the text might stretch your view of God. So I'm going to look at it with you. Look at John 17, 9. John 17, 9. Here's what it says. I am praying for them. He's talking about his disciples. Jesus is saying this. He says, I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. He's talking to the Father. 
you gave me some, I'm praying for them. He says, for they are yours. So here's the question. Why does Jesus not pray for the world? Why did he say, I'm praying for them? I mean, he doesn't just say, I'm not praying for the world. He says, I'm not praying for the world, but for those that you gave me. Interesting. And here's the, here's the stretcher. I think the doctrines of divine sovereignty, meaning God is in control of all things. There's not one thing that he's not in control of. Think about it just rationally. If you're God and you're not in control of something, are you still God? I don't think so. So, God is sovereign, but then also what we see in Scripture is that there is a human responsibility. So you have the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. They're both clearly taught in Scripture, and they play an important role in our passage today. It's not just 17.9, but look with me at 17.2. Look at what verse 17.2 says. He says, Since you have given him authority over all flesh, this is Jesus saying that God the Father gave Jesus authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. To all whom the Father has given him, he has authority to give eternal life. Now look, it's not just 17.9, it's not just 17.2, it's also 17.6. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And then it's also 17.10. He says, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. How we interpret divine sovereignty and human responsibility impacts the way we think about God. It's a big deal. We see the same tension in another place in, in Acts 2. In Acts 2, you don't have to turn there. During Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, he said, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God. I'm, I'm repeating Peter's sermon, actually. A man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, he says, this man delivered over by the, here it is, the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. He says, you nailed him to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. If you follow this, He's saying both things in this sermon. He's saying God is sovereign. In other words, God delivered him over by this predetermined plan. It says by the foreknowledge of God, Jesus was crucified. You could ask the question, who killed Jesus? The Father. The Father killed Jesus. 
This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. But then here we go. And this is where it gets complicated. Feel your mind stretched. You nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And so Israel will be held guilty both for their collective hand in his death and for their failure to believe in him as the Messiah. But the father had a role. Why would the father do that? The father would do that for his glory first, but because he loves you. He created a way to pay for our sins that we could spend eternity with him. That's what the cross is all about. Let me ask you another question. Just, I'm just going to leave this one out there, let you play with it. All right? Just let, it's a brain teaser. What would have happened if Jesus would have prayed for the world here and not just his disciples? What would have happened if he, had he prayed for the world? He said, I'm, not, I'm praying for them, not the world. But what if he had prayed for the world? It's kind of, in my mind, it's kind of like if, if he hadn't said, Lazarus, come forth, and he had just said, come forth, would all of the dead in the world raise? He is God. Third and final thing, Jesus prays for all believers. John 17, 20 through 26. Who is the them here? That's the first question. Who is the them here? The them is all who would ever believe for, forever and ever. That's who Jesus is praying for third. He prays for himself, prays for the disciples, prays for you. This is a prayer for you. And here's what he prays in verse 21. Similar, it's kind of circulating. In verse 21 he says, that they may be one just as the Trinity is one. That we may be one, that we could get along. And then also in verse 21, he prays this. That they may be in us, so the world would believe that the Father sent Jesus. That they may be in us, that, that the believers would be in the Father and the Son. That's the second prayer. In verse 24, he says that they would see the glory of Christ. That they would see the glory of Christ. You know why I think he prays that they would see the glory of Christ? This is what I believe. I believe if you're physically blind, you know it. If you're physically blind, you know I can't see, so would somebody please help me off the stage? When you're spiritually blind, the problem is you don't know it. You don't know that you're blind. And so that is the crux of the problem. And what Jesus is praying for them is they would see with their eyes of their heart the glory that is God. Because if you see, if you see with your heart, you truly see the beauty, the majesty, the supremacy of God himself, it'll change you forever. But if you're blind, spiritually blind, and you don't see the glory of God, 
You just see the natural world about us. And people tell you, oh, that's silly. You know, church, that's what people do that are still stuck in the 1800s or the medieval times. Yes, you will follow the world. And then he prays in verse 24 that they would be with him forever. What he's talking about is heaven, that those that believe in Jesus would be with him forever. Now, some takeaways and we're done. One of the chief, the first takeaway, one of the chief things Jesus shows us in these prayers is that God has a desire for a relationship with his creation. He wants us to enter into an experiential relationship with him, trusting, hoping, longing for a deeper connection with our creator. That's the first thing. <clears throat> the second thing is this. Jesus prays. He's the God of the universe, but Jesus prays. That means we should pray. If Jesus prays, certainly we should pray. And just to bring it home for you, do you, do you pray daily? I think if we are followers of God, if we are followers of Christ, Christians, we should be praying daily. It should just be part of, it's, it's like breathing. But then I think there should be breathing and then there should be focused, uh, intentional times that we pray. So I have a plan. I call it my prayer plan. I'm ingenious like that. And in that plan, it has every day of the week and every one of you, maybe with the exception of one or two, uh, just because all the members of the church are in that plan. And you're on a day, and I pray for you on that day. And then there's plenty of other people and other things that are in that plan. And I have a time that I pray. And often I have a way that I pray. I like when I can to get alone in the woods or to get alone and get on my knees in my office. I encourage you to pray, to pray. Do you pray though like Jesus? Are those four things part of your prayer plan? Oneness, holiness, perseverance, joy for others? Or is most of your time in prayer spent on King me? We should be praying for others. Pray for me. Pray for each other. Pray for those in your family that don't know the Lord. And then finally, the third takeaway. We see in Jesus' prayer his vision for his church. It's not just a community that heals people so that they'll be physically healthy and therefore happy. It's not a community that teaches so that people will be gratified by knowledge, 
through wis- though wisdom is valuable. It's not just a community that shares Christ with other people so that our church can grow, though that's very important. The church, the body of believers, is a community that invites people to touch the glory of God, to be changed by it, to bear it to the world. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your, your, your prayers that teach us how to pray. I pray that you would use your word and, and our people's prayers for your glory, our good, and the sake of the nations. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.